North-South Connection. Welcome to Monthly Cronoso. Cronoso has been on a, let's call it hiatus for the past six months, but hey, we're back here in monthly form, and let's pick up where we left off, which is 1987. Instead of a daily pod blast, we are going to take two Saturday night's main events or one pay-per-view and chronologically go through it throughout the year. So, for instance, this episode is January 1987 in March 1987, Saturday night's main event. So let's pick up first for the January Saturday night's main event from the Hartford Civic Center in Hartford, Connecticut. The Hartford Civic Center was built in 1975, and it is still going strong, strong-ish, nowadays home of the Connecticut Huskies basketball teams. Unfortunately, the Connecticut Huskies took a took an L to the Providence Friars this past week. A few of the uh, No So Network crew were there, and some were happy and some were sad. The last time the WWE was here was August 27th for three wrestling challenge tapings that aired on September 7th, September 14th, and September 21st. Nothing super noteworthy went on at those tapings. However, you got the British Bulldogs versus the Moondogs in the first episode for the World Tag Team titles. The second episode, you would get George the Animal Steel and the Junkyard Dog versus the Funk Brothers. And then on the third and final episode at this tapings, you would get the Hart Foundation versus the Islanders. And also, you got the Killer Bees versus some jobber named Jack Foley and Terry Gibbs. A little cool tidbit there. And that was the first tapings ever at the Harvard Silver Center, and this would be the second taping ever at the Harvard Silver Center this Saturday. It's main event. And personally, for me, I have attended three events at the Harvard Silver Center, I believe, uh, all being TV tapings or pay-per-views. The first would be Vengeance 2004, with the main event of Chris Benoit defeating Triple H to retain the World Heavyweight Championship. I believe we had Edge defeating Randy Orton on that car, Intercontinental Championship, and a whole bunch of other filler. This was a Triple H-Eugene transition feud coming out of Chris Benoit to kind of set up for SummerSlam as this was a June pay-per-view. And we would know that Triple H would go on to face Eugene at SummerSlam, and Chris Benoit would go on to lose to Randy Orton at SummerSlam. So this was the definition of a B pay-per-view. The next being a Raw on December 28th, 2009. Uh, yeah, it sounds terrible as it is. It would be about seven matches, averaging a total of two minutes per match, give or take. And uh, it was rough. John Cena versus Sheamus in the main event. Cena wins by disqualification in a WWE Championship match. DX would face Big Show and Chavo. And the rest was absolute garbage. Honestly, that was garbage, too. That was a really rough raw to go to. And the last being May 2019, Money in the Bank. The first pay-per-view after WrestleMania 35, where in the kickoff match, Daniel Bryan would team up with Rowan versus the Usos in a SmackDown tag team title match from rag to riches for their D. Bryan. But the two matches of the night were easily Rollins versus AJ Styles for the Universal Championship. And Brock Lesnar with the surprise entry into Money in the Bank in what I would call one of the best Money in the Bank matches of the modern era. And I had both those matches at four and a half stars on my list. That was a pretty fun pay-per-view. Uh, the undercard was rather dull in a way, but, you know, modern WWE, you're going to get plenty of good action. So uh, that's what I've been to at the Harvard Civic Center throughout the years. Well, let's jump back into 1987. Since the last Cronoso, there has been no title changes. Your current WWE champion is Hulk Hogan. He has been champion for three years about. Your current Intercontinental Championship is the Macho Man Randy Savage, where he's been champion since February 1986. And your current tag team champions are the British Bulldogs, where they have been champion since WrestleMania 2. 
The last time there was a title change in the Harvard Service Center was in February 1985 with U.S. Express, Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda defeated the North-South Connection, Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch to win the WWF Tag Team Champion. Tonight there was 10,000 in attendance and this rating was pretty high, the highest to date for a Saturday Night Main event. It would go on to do a 10.6 rating. And just like every Saturday Night Main event taping, there are dark matches. Uh, the first being Don Morocco and Tito Santana going to a 15-minute time limit. Jose Luis Rivera and, uh, defeated Iron Mike Sharp. The Heart Foundation defeated the American Express, Dan Spivey and Mike Rotundo. Uh, Hercules defeated Pedro Morales. Butch Reed defeated S.D. Dones. The Honky Talk Man defeated Corporal Krishner. So that's some of the history for the Hartford Service Center. Some of the current events going on. We know who the champions are. We know the dark matches. So now let's jump into this edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. Let's hear it, gang. Hey, everyone. This is Dave Hall, the Thunder from Down Under, and I am bringing you the first match of this Saturday Night's Main Event. Hulk Hogan versus Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff inside the big blue steel cage for the World Heavyweight Championship. And I tell you, I absolutely love this match. I love the whole storyline of Hogan and Orndorff. I, it is actually the first wrestling storyline that I was invested in from the beginning. I remember seeing the match where Orndorff turned on Hogan on Championship Wrestling. I saw it on TV. It hooked me. The whole storyline hooked me. I loved it. And um, and this is a great payoff. This match is a fantastic payoff to the whole storyline. Um, one of the really cool bits is uh, of this of this match is the fact that Paul Orndorff comes out to the ring to the real American. Uh, it's, it's a real sign of arrogance. Orndorff had sort of claimed that the song was supposed to be his and that I think he even claimed that he wrote it. Um, it's his in entrance theme and Hogan stole it from him. So him coming out to Real American was a real great little um, little thing that added a great touch to it. Um, Orndorff arrives at ringside and he is insisting that Danny Davis is going to be the referee for the match. Now, um, if you're not aware, if you, if you are living in a cave, this was also the time when they were in the middle of Danny Davis being the heel referee. And actually, this was only a few weeks before he was suspended for life from all refereeing. Of course, that suspension only lasted about 18 months, but he was suspended for life for being such a treacherous person. So Orndorff is insisting that Danny Davis is the referee instead of the appointed official, Joey Morella. And that comes into play later on. Hogan, of course, comes out to Real American as well, and the match starts out. Hogan enters the ring coming over the top, and the moment he hits the ground, Orndorff attacks him. And um, Orndorff just starts beating on him, whips him with the belt. Uh, he goes through the door a couple of times, and, and Hogan keeps grabbing onto Orndorff's leg to keep him from mistaking. And Jesse, Jesse Ventura at his best. You know, Hogan is lucky. He's lucky in, 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 in his ability to stop him. Orndorff, uh, Orndorff keeps beating on Hogan and, and, and then he goes over the top and he nearly, he nearly gets out. I mean, Hogan has to sort of move really quick to, to stop Orndorff from dropping down on the outside. Now, I actually wonder if Orndorff, maybe the, the adrenaline, the excitement of, of what was going on, the, the reaction they're getting from Karen, I'm wondering if Orndorff actually went 
out of the ring a little bit faster than he should have because it sort of lost the drama for a moment of Hogan trying to stop him. Hogan sort of had to move quick, grab him by the hair to, to prevent Orndorff from dropping down. But Hogan brings him back in, pulls him back over the top, chokes him a little bit, and and then it's Hogan's turn to get some uh, dominance. He beats on Orndorff, and he starts to try his escape. Now, he clearly goes slower. He clearly takes his time to allow Orndorff to grab him, to stop him, to to prevent that escape. Um, they end up back on the on the outside, and, and Hogan starts no-selling, and he beats on Orndorff a little bit more, and he goes to leave by the door, but the door is locked. Um, Jesse, uh, sorry, Vince starts pointing out that the door is locked, and Danny Davis won't open it for him, and and uh, it's really, it really sort of plays into this this storyline they were doing that Danny Davis was favoring the heels, and and Jesse, of course, gets on his back. Well, what's it supposed to be? Is it supposed to be open? It's no, it's supposed to be locked while they're in the ring. So, you know, Jesse does a great job of of, of bringing in that heel perspective in such a realistic way, the way he always does. Um, Hogan blocks being ran into the cage by Orndorff, runs Orndorff's head into the cage. And they're both down on the mat. And then we get the, the, the moment of the match, really. Both Hogan and Orndorff climb over the top of the cage on separate sides of the cage. They come down and then they jump to the floor at the same moment. And it is really well done. It is a really well done moment. You, you can see them eyeing each other off as they get ready to do it, but it's such a well done moment. And Danny Davis raises up the arm of, Hulk, of uh, Paul Orndorff um, Joey Morella raises up the arm of Hogan. Um, Ventura is Ventura is brilliant. He's like, Orndorff landed first. I saw it. I can tell. And um and and we get a really good moment of well, what's going to happen here. One referee is is saying that one that Hogan's the winner. The other one's saying Orndorff's the winner. And Hogan starts stalking Danny Davis. And while he's doing that. Um, Orndorff runs around the cage and attacks Hogan from behind, knees him in the back. Hogan goes down. Danny Davis goes down. And at this moment, Joey Morella tells the Fink, Howard Finkel, that the match has got to resume. Both men have got to get back into the ring. So Orndorff beats on Hogan on the outside, throws him into the ring, beats on him some more in the ring. And it's really, it's really sort of Orndorff is now on top <laughs> And they cut to a shot of Danny Davis being helped to the back by two other uh, officials. And Vince says that's his moment of the night, his moment of the match, Danny Davis being carried out. Finally, you know, as, as normal, Hogan hulks up, uh, starts to throw Orndorff around. It's a little bit early in his career for the five moves of doom. We don't get the five moves. Hogan does do a, a, a couple of punches. Sends Orndorff into the cage, does a backbreaker before he drops the leg. He goes to leave, but Bobby has run into him. Bobby Heenan runs into the ring. He sort of stops him for a minute. So Hogan beats on him, beats on Orndorff a little bit more, sends um, sends him back into the cage again, climbs out, clear winner this time, and the crowd go nuts. And it's it was it's just such a well done match. It's a good payoff to what had been a money feud for both guys. Orndorff, by, by allowing Orndorff to sort of have the moment where they both hit the outside, Orndorff continues to look strong. But it really allows Hogan to get that big win and move on to what will be the money feud to build up to WrestleMania three. Um, Orndorff 
looked sensational in this match. Uh, they they really did a good job. I love this match. If you haven't seen it, it is great. It is not long. It is a fantastic match to rewatch. It just it's the epitome of of 1987 WWF of Hogan's early uh, of of his first title reign and and sort of it, it it's it's not the feeding of a monster. Or, see, the thing about Orndorff was Orndorff was the first guy that wasn't the monster. He was he was built, he was cut, and he could wrestle, but he'd gotten in Hogan's head a little bit, which is something that other guys hadn't really done. That it was always Hogan against the just the next challenger, and this is the first time that someone had gotten his head. And it really it really created some good psychology in the matches as Orndorff. Uh, worked hard to to continue to try and psych Hogan out. But, of course, Hogan overcomes, as he always does. And Hogan is going to get ready to to find out who his challenger will be at WrestleMania 3. While Orndorff, well, sadly, this is probably, this is the end of, of Horndorf, Orndorff's real run in the WWF. He, he, he's around for, for another 12 months nearly, uh, most of the year. But I think he spends some time out injured. He comes back. He becomes a face. It, it, but Orndorff really never hits any more peaks in the WWF. And then he's really, that once he leaves, that's it. He never comes back. With all the guys they brought back over the years, they never brought Mr. Wonderful back. And it's a real shame because he was he was a good heel. He was very good. And um, I, I think it would have been great to see him come back, maybe to come back in those early 90s and, um, and, and maybe as that new... Uh, the new generation era sort of kicked off. You could have brought Orndorff in as the veteran heel who, who um, you know, sort of still trying to prove himself over these young up-and-comers. It would have been good. But, you know, it, it, it's a great match. Go and watch it. And, um, yeah. But there's more to this card. As always, the main event's on first on Saturday night's main event. So let's just keep moving. Renoso people. I am Logan Croslin, and today I'm going to be talking to you about Randy Savage versus George the Animal Steel from the January 1987 Saturday night's main event. And yes, this feud is still going on. Uh, it started a little bit before Mania 2, and though they've uh, kind of started to branch off in another direction, as I'll get into during the match, uh, we still get two more Saturday night's main event matches uh, between these two, including this one. So I'll kind of start getting into the match. Uh, at the beginning of the show, they could do like an opening promo package, uh, and they have a little bit where uh, George Steele is talking to uh, Gene Oakland, uh, Mean Gene, and uh, he says he has a surprise for Savage, so uh, it'll be interesting, and that's a big talking point throughout the rest of the night is whenever they talk about this match, that what is the surprise going to be? So we get a package talking about how it was love at first sight with Steele and Liz. You know, when he first saw Liz, uh, he was immediately in love and infatuated by her. Then go to kind of an interview with Okerlund and uh, Savage and Liz. Uh, he asks Liz if the surprise will affect her. 
And like a good wife, he starts to, she starts to say that if it affects Randy, it affects her. Uh, but Randy cuts her off like the asshole that he is and uh, tells her that no one cares what she thinks. Okerlund then, sell that, then says that Steel obviously does care what she thinks, and Savage calls him a half-pint jughead and threatens to beat his ass. So a uh, lot of aggression coming from uh, Mr. Savage here. Uh, we then get a Steel interview, uh, and that goes about how you think. Again, he starts saying surprise, and I I think he actually grabs uh, Okerlund's head at one point. It kind of shoves it into the camera. So, uh, real interesting uh, interview there. Um, still, bre still brings out his own action figure to Elizabeth to give her as a present. Uh, Vince and Jesse start to think, "Is this a surprise? Is this what the big surprise was?" Um, Savage then snatches it and it spikes it into the mat. Uh, this angers uh, angers George Steele and he starts acting like the animal that he is and immediately snaps and really really takes it to Savage starts beating his ass pretty good running his head into the uh, the tar turnbuckle uh, just slamming him around throwing him around just all kinds of stuff uh, Steele then appears to be waving someone to the ring as he climbs to the top rope but uh, nobody really comes uh, down at first uh, and he kind of gets jumped behind for doing this um, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat then comes out and distracts Savage long enough uh, for Savage to get dumped off of the top rope he also gets thrown to the outside where he has an absolutely brutal landing. He lands like in between the steps and uh, like the announce table, I think. Uh, it looked real nasty. It looked like if he had been thrown in one, dire one direction a little bit further, uh, it could have uh, ended really badly for him. Uh, but while, the, while he's kind of laying on the ground recovering from that, uh, Steele actually grabs Liz and takes her to the back. Uh, so he kind of kidnaps her and takes her to the back. Um, when Savage kind of realizes it uh, after he recovers uh, and realizes that she's gone, uh, Steamboat prevents him. Uh, Steamboat kind of prevents him from running after her. So he's kind of standing in the way, threatening to kick his ass if he comes any further. Uh, we then have a really extended commercial, and you would think while Steel is out of the ring, there would have been a countout. Uh, but after the commercial, Steel just kind of comes back uh, to the ring, and the match just kind of continues. So I guess this is a quasi no holds barred match without them saying that. But uh, once he gets back into the ring, he continues to whip Savage's ass, just really takes it to him. Uh, Savage finally kind of gets an advantage of reversing a bulldog to the top turnbuckle, kind of ducking out of the way and throwing steel into the top. Uh, the two then kind of trade strikes back and forth until Steel starts to bite Savage multiple times. He bites him a couple of times on on the on the head, and then I believe he's uh, Savage is just trying to do a uh, running clothesline, and he actually starts to bite like his bicep and his arm. Um, Steel then uses some kind of foreign object. Uh, but as the ref's trying to locate it so he can disqualify him, he can't really find it. Uh, so that's. Uh, that was a real interesting part in the match. Uh, but after he can't locate it and he's kind of still messing with uh, Steel, uh, the ref gets shoved over uh, by Steel. Uh, and you would have think that would have been a disqualification, but still no decision is uh, rendered. Uh, but while Savage... Uh, while the ref is down, Savage grabs the bell and cracks Steel uh, over the head with him and actually gets the win. So Savage actually sneaks the win out here. Uh, then Steamboat kind of comes out to chase away Savage and help Steel uh, to the back. Um, 
I'm real excited to get back into this whole Cronoso thing. Uh, I think it's going to be monthly now, so I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it. I will usually do these with the unbelievably awesome uh, Jennifer Smith, uh, but she uh, unfortunately she couldn't join me tonight. But I hope you enjoyed me talking about this match. Um, I would give it uh, around two stars because I really liked uh, Steele's aggressiveness. Uh, I'm usually not one to love a George the Animal Steel match, but um, uh, we watched the WrestleMania 2 match between these two, and I think I ended up liking it more than I thought. But uh, I really liked Steele's aggressiveness and Savage bumps like a maniac. So uh, really good stuff. I uh, hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the North-South Connection. This is Keithy here for another installment of Cronoso. Today, we're going to be bringing you the JYD, the Junkyard Dog versus King Harley Race from Saturday night's main event, January 3rd, 1987. Uh, this is a preview of their WrestleMania 3 climactic matchup that they had, or uh, epic matchup, if you will. Uh, so this one's kind of a, uh, an interesting matchup here. We had some interviews prior to with me and Gene Oakland in the background. Uh, the match comes, the, before the match even starts, uh, Harley Race is insisting that the JYD bow to him. And of course the JYD does not, so I believe he kind of shows him his ace. Uh, the interesting thing here is Vince McMahon mentions that Danny, dangerous Danny Davis is the referee. So you could tell that maybe shenanigans might be afoot. Uh, so the match starts, the matchup starts with Harley Race kind of going out after JYD with some fists, fisticuffs to the face knocking him down uh harley race not looking like in in too bad shape here he does have the the blonde hair as he would have but uh junkyard dog is just kind of you could tell that junkyard dog's at the end of his run here i mean i know he did last until 88 but was anybody really expecting junkyard dog to do anything i guess he's still a big fan favorite with the with the grab them cakes oh a high knee from harley race so shades of triple h so to speak but uh it's funny how when you watch Harley race, you just see how much influence he was to a guy like Flair and then to a guy like Triple H. It's, it, it is, it's great to see. It's almost, it's almost comical going back now watching it uh, just to see how much they stole from each other. We got the great Bobby the Green Heenan on the outside here. Uh, JYD and Harley race exchanging lefts and rights here. And this has just turned into a pier six brawl. I wish Danny Davis would get a little bit of control in here. Uh, junkyard dog throwing Harley race now into the corner into the corner post so uh, that kind of slowing the match down a little bit but not too bad I mean this is just I mean you're not gonna get a rest you're not gonna get a wrestling classic in this in this case here I mean junkyard dogs never known for you know never known to to fall into an arm bar or anything like that and Harley race I feel like was well past his point of being a a, a mat technician at this point but uh, you know raking of the eyes Harley race and junkyard dog doing a headbutt and now we got a belly to belly suplex oh my god belly to belly so uh harley race doing a belly to belly suplex and now dropping the big headbutt so not a bad not a bad matchup so far i mean pretty good for television it looks like so it looks like harley race hits junkyard dog in the head and then junkyard dog it didn't phase him so i guess junkyard dog has a little bit of uh samoan heritage in him because harley race headbutted him and it didn't work and now uh, Junkyard Dog doing kind of the, the, the I, I called it the thump, I guess. I know it might not have been, but it was where he was on all fours and he's kind of just headbutting, headbutting his opponent. He throws Harley Race over to the corner and Harley Race kind of does the full, the full Sergeant Slaughter and he goes right over the turnbuckle onto the outside of the uh, ring apron. And Bobby Heenan's out there now trying to help him out with the weasel chant coming up. 
So pretty interesting here. Oh, now JYD grabs. He grabs the cape and crown. And he puts the crown on. Oh my God, he put the crown on. King Junkyard Dog. I don't know if that was something that needed to happen, but maybe we could have had that. So, I mean, you know, he's, you know, Jesse Ventura makes a comment about how he hasn't won the match. He hasn't won anything. And yet he's over there putting this cape and the crown on. And he's kind of prancing and preening around the ring. Now, this is irritating Bobby Heenan. No, oh, Bobby Heenan comes into the ring and hits JYD in the back with, you know, kind of a clubbing blow to no effect. And so Junkyard Dog taking off the kicking off the gown uh, or the robe rather. He still has the crown on his head, and it looks like he's going to go after Bobby the Brain Heenan here. Backs him up into a corner, grabs Heenan by the hair, and my guess is that he's going to give him oh he's going to give him a five finger knuckle shuffle right in the mouth. And Heenan takes a an amazing flop, a full over, full 180 flop, uh, actually maybe even 360 because he kind of goes all the way around. So now Bobby Heenan's getting beat up, but it allows Harley Race to kind of come from behind, drop an elbow off the top rope onto uh, Junkyard Dog's upper back neck area. And now I don't know how this match is continuing because both – all right, finally their bell is rung because Bobby was going to say Bobby Heenan and Harley Race are just both in there beating up on Junkyard Dog. So this is great because this definitely sets up their WrestleMania three matchup. Because uh, they they had there was a score to be settled here, and that would have taken place in Pontiac, Michigan. Uh, ninety three thousand people got to see this. Uh, I know that's what sold the crowd was the ninety three thousand people bought was to see King Holly Race versus Junkyard Dog, and I believe which was the bow and kiss my ass match or kiss my foot match or just just really whoever has to bow at the end. And so Danny Davis did give the decision to the junkyard dog via disqualification. So at least he, at least he did the right thing here. Uh, but I, uh, ironically enough, he's not trying to stop Bobby Heenan and Holly Race from doing any kind of after the match damage here to the man. You know, he's not getting in the way of a guy. You know, whereas a guy like Earl Hebner or Dave Hebner or Mike Kyoto would trying to get in the in between there and stop this nonsense. He's just letting it go on. Oh yeah, they want him to bow. So they're like, Jesus, they're forcing his head in a very uh inappropriate manner if you will <laughs> it's kind of interesting now the crowd's actually popping pretty good from jyd here so i guess it, i guess he still had some uh some good momentum in 1987 at this point i just always feel that once what really once the rock and rock and wrestling connection ended jyd kind of his flame kind of went out but maybe i'm wrong Danny Davis now holding back Junkyard Dog, and it looks like Junkyard Dog's going to take out his frustrations on referee dangerous Danny Davis here on a big headbutt to Danny Davis to kind of to end this match, to end this whole thing, to send the crowd home happy, to use the parlance of our time. And Jesse's just going on about how you should never put your hands on a referee, and there you go. Danny Davis should have Junkyard Dog suspended indefinitely for putting his hands on a referee. But as we all know, Danny Davis was... Briefly after this, he was he was suspended indefinitely plus 10 years uh, and ended up having to become a wrestler on his own. And, of course, being managed by the the great Jimmy, the, Jimmy, the mouth of South Heart. So. And he's in a kind of weird twist here. Junkyard Dog, as he celebrates to grab them cakes, picks up Danny Davis and helps him up into the corner. So and that seems to be that seems to be the match here as we end. This, I just want to thank you all for joining me here today. 
And you can check me out uh check out my Twitter at Flounder824 for any of my update any updates and any upcoming spots I'm gonna be doing. I just want to thank you again for listening to the North South Connection and you have yourself a fantastic day. Bye bye. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the celebration of the dawning of 1987 in the World Wrestling Federation continues with Johnny C. Who is I? Of course, the big ongoing narrative of tonight's spectacle is Paul Orndorff and the immortal Hulk Hogan. Whose feet hit the floor first? Well, folks, Bobby the Brain Heenan certainly believes he's got the inside scoop, but he's in the locker room with the challenger, the man who came within seconds, milliseconds, if you will, of becoming the new World Wrestling Federation champion, a Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Uh, Orndorff is distraught. He believes in his heart he was victorious, and so does the brain. And he says, Paul, baby, don't worry about it. We've got the footage. We're going to get the footage where it needs to be. Mean Gene comes in and wants to have a few words. Bobby the Brain Heenan, how can you be so confident that your man, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, is indeed going to be the World Wrestling Federation champion? The brain, you know, of course, insults Mean Gene, but promises that he's got the footage that will prove once and for all that Orndorff's feet did hit the floor first. It's in this interview segment that I noticed something about Paul Orndorff I've never noticed before, uh, which is surprising, considering this is the type of shit I always notice. His sort of lisp, if you will, definitely makes him sound like a dead ringer for Silence of the Lambs anti-hero Buffalo Bill. Would you fuck me, Bobby? I'll fuck me. Uh, but Bobby will pull the footage, so don't you worry, Paul. You are the champ as far as we're concerned. Behind them, here in the locker room, up on a shelf, is the WWF Navy and Yellow tote bag that I had as a youngster. I'd like to think that Bobby the Brain Heenan has this tote bag still from WrestleMania 1. Maybe even with some cash still in it, because we know he's a cheap bastard, and he just takes it with him everywhere. The one piece of information that I, that stood out to me in this entire thing, because it's just heels claiming to have the upper hand, okay, is that Bobby says he's going to get the footage to Tunney. He's going to take it to Toronto. Now, you and I, because we're smart fans, all know that, yes, it's a reference to the fact that Tunney was in the Canadian territories and lived in Toronto or whatever and what have you. But I... To me, it puts this picture in my head of, like, this huge, like, WWF, like, center or tower in Toronto, you know, and they cut to, like, this fucking matte painting, and it's like, WWF World Sports-based entertainment headquarters in Toronto, in the offices of Jack Tunney, and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, I have received a footage, but I just, I love this narrative that, like, there's some sort of WWF official jurisdiction like in Canada like some sort of I don't know like the Supreme Court building or something like that I don't know like it I don't know it, I, what I'm trying to say is that I love the idea of it being like a canonical thing in WWF history like if you pick up a DC Comics comic book the Hall of Justice is either in space or it's in Washington DC or some shit like that but I love this idea that there's a secret Supreme Court World Wrestling Federation headquarters in Toronto where all the day-to-day -day business takes place um Unquestionably, Jesse DeBonny Ventura, we have the footage. Let's take a look at the footage right now. And, of course, Vince does have the footage, and it looks like it's been doctored already because it looks like Ordorf beat Hogan by a hundredth of a tenth of a millisecond, but I could be wrong. Well, I'll tell you what, McMahon, this footage is more doctored than the Watergate videos.
Let's head back to BG with adorable Adrian Adonis and the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Adrian Adonis, recently in Cleveland, Roddy Piper hit you in the face with a crutch while you were wearing a dress. What the fuck is that all about? Triple A, as we're going to refer to him as, calls BG'd Lean Gene, and I love it. He can take a licking, keep ticking, and not even Ajax can remove the stains that the whipping is going to be put on Roddy Piper. Or something like that. Triple-A and Jimmy Hart make their entrance in the arena. Triple-A is a consummate athlete, but he doesn't look like he is, according to Vince McMahon. Mean Gene with another interview. Jesus, give this guy a break. He's back with Piper. I'm going to keep it short. This guy humiliated me, and I've made mistakes. But he's prostituting my sport. I ain't fighting for money, brother. I'm fighting for pride. I can't believe he said prostituting. Well, it is late night. I'm not sure what it's a reference to. Don't hate me. But here comes the rowdy one, the pipester. He makes his entrance. Suddenly, though, the camera's in a wide shot. And some crazy animated graphics start flying at my face like I'm watching the opening credits of Superman 78. Uh, the words, the Hulkster, in big red, white, and blue text, swoop at me. I guess we're going to hear from him later. And then, the great state of Tejas, or Texas, if you will, the Battle of Texas flies at me. The Battle of Texas, of course, may or may not be held this Tuesday. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, and then we see the Hot Rod as well, promising us to stay with us, because the Hot Rod's coming up next, and we head to a commercial. But hey, it's the future, and we're on Peacock, so we're all ready back. The bell rings and we're underway. Rowdy Piper tosses his kilt right onto the face of AAA and bites the adorable one. Well, that's not the first time a skirt has been placed over the head of Adonis. Oh, oh that's a good one, McMahon. Hip tossed by Piper to AAA, but unfortunately, AAA jumped early. And the actual hip toss bump was weak and sort of business exposing because he has to hop a couple of times like he's the frogger. Jerry! Jerry, we gotta save the frogger! That's my favorite episode. Jumping knee by the pipester sends AAA into the ropes. An adorable Adrian Adonis flips over the ropes and gets his arms caught. It's an amazing maneuver by adorable Adrian Adonis. Like, I don't want to oversell it because I'm sure Shelton Benjamin could do it 10 times out of 10 with you know, his eyes closed. But I don't know. I was impressed. Really good job, AAA. The referee unhooks him. But Piper tosses Adonis into the turnbuckle hard. And Adonis does the flare flip and gets himself caught in the tree of woe, uh, of which Roddy Piper takes immediate advantage by biting the adorable one in the face and on his hand. Vince lets us know that Elizabeth has been freed by George the Animal Steel. Piper is on the ring apron now, and he's going to ring Triple A's arm over the top rope, okay? So Piper's going to jump to the floor, and Adonis is going to be like, ow, my arm. But Adonis, just like earlier, throws his arm over the top before Piper jumps yet again, exposing the business. He's not showing any mercy. Wait a minute, that's the wrong guy that said it. Let's wind it back. He's not showing any mercy. Would you show mercy, Jesse? Now, the only reason I'm saying this is because Jesse responds to this question. Would you show any mercy, Jesse? And he sort of channels Kevin Nash before Kevin Nash is even a thing, because Jesse's like, eh, I don't know, it's possible, McMahon. Just very Nash-esque, like, eh, I don't know, Vince. I mean, it just depends what I'm doing that day. 
depends if I've rented any pictures to watch, you know? You see that uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, Vince? Meh. It's a hell of a picture. Midsection uppercuts by adorable Adrian Adonis, and then a vicious chest scratch, and then an abdominal scratch as well. Adonis with vengeance spewing from every pore. Piper, though, is back with some haymakers, and Rams Triple A face first into the canvas again and again and again. But Triple A is back up and locks in a vicious sleeper. Good night, Irene! yells Vince. But Rowdy Piper is cunning and throws himself through the middle ropes, thus sending both athletes to the outside and breaking up the sleeper. Actually, it's a really good counter, I'm not going to lie. Jimmy Hart gets involved on the outside, eats a big right hand by the pipester. Jimmy Hart is knocked into the ring by this right hand, and the referee, Danny Davis, I believe, is checking on Jimmy to make sure he's okay. This, well, distraction to the referee allows adorable Adrian Adonis to grab his patented atomizer and unload arrogance, I'm assuming, or whatever it's called, into Roddy Piper's face, uh, and he gets sprayed a lot. Shot after shot of sticky liquid covers the face of the rowdy one. Triple A rolls inside, and the referee reaches a 10 count. Triple A wins this match via countout to set up the big return career stipulation at WrestleMania 3. Uh, adorable Adrian Adonis does what I can only describe as a big boy airplane celebration. He's like, wee, spreads his arm out like he's an airplane. It's pretty great. Adonis and Jimmy Hart flee the scene. Piper eventually works his way back inside and immediately attacks referee Danny Davis, assuming that it's adorable Adrian Adonis. Piper is like a viper in there. He's been blinded by the visionary plan of AAA in the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. We see a replay of the finish, and some officials help the rowdy one exit the ring as my segment ends. Eh! I'll be nice and give him a star because I did enjoy it quite a bit it's i mean it's terrible quote-unquote wrestling but this is just a means to an end they're just out here to basically it's it's kind of funny because these are like promo matches all right in the modern era you go out you start raw you cut a 20-minute promo and then we have a match for the premium premium live event almost said pay-per-view this is a match that exists to be the promo that gets us to the match because we didn't have 20 minute opening promos it's totally fine it's totally acceptable i've got zero problems with it but i can only give it a star in terms of in ring action triple a was very off tonight if he was ever on i've not watched a ton of his stuff but we are where we need to be with these two athletes and johnny c has seen his time come to an end. But thanks so much for checking out this uh, revamped Cronoso project. Make sure, because I am a shameless cheap bastard, to check out the Multiverse of Fabulousness, usually the last Sunday of each month, with myself and our new co-host, Keithy Langston. We are traversing the multiverse for pop culture variants. In December, we tried to book the worst pay-per-view of all time using wrestlers from all over the time stream. Just trust me, listen to it. We got something special coming up for you for the Royal Rumble, but that's all I'm going to say. A multiversal Royal Rumble of epic proportions. And if you're feeling froggy, check out my personal podcast feed, The New TNN, where we look at pop culture like professional wrestling, movies, and television. I'm Johnny C, and a winner is you.
North-South Connection, what's going on? Mike Eller here, uh, long time no speak uh, from me on this network, and I'm happy to be back because I am uh, starting off with another edition of Cronoso Monthly, where we're taking a monthly look at um, all the pay-per-views in WWF, WWE history, not only pay-per-views, uh, which we'll get to uh, later on, but also big shows like the one we're doing tonight, which is Saturday's night, Saturday night's main event. It's the 10th overall Saturday night's main event, and it's taking place from the Joe Louis Arena, um, affectionately called the Joe, out of Detroit, Michigan. So where are we at right now in WWF? In, like in the, I don't know if it was the universe in 1987. I don't think it was. I think, the, where are we in the world of the WWF right now? Well, um, we're heading towards one of the biggest shows of all time. We're getting close to um, WrestleMania 3, which will be held in nearby Pontiac, Michigan. So there's a lot going on, um, which our wonderful hosts are going to provide you with a lot of great information about matches and everything going on. And, uh, not to you know divulge the match card or anything like that, but we're gonna see some matches that are gonna kind of help paint the picture of where we're going for for some matches for WrestleMania three. Uh, we're gonna see some really big names on the show. You're gonna get um, you know well maybe not the best work rate necessarily, but we'll see. You know we'll uh, you know our host will be the judge of that. Uh, definitely. It's definitely going to be an exciting time. It's definitely an awesome time, obviously, um, in in the WWF. You know, coming one of their best years of 1987, which is really cool. Um, this play, this show was actually filmed on February 21st, 1987, out of Detroit. Uh, it doesn't air um, until later. It doesn't air until March, so we've got a little bit of a delay there, and the the attendance for this is 21,000, which, I mean, that's awesome. That's just so cool to see, you know, I obviously we're in a different landscape in 2022, 2023, but to get $21,000, 21,000 people, they got definitely more than $21,000 for this show. Um, it's really cool to see. So just wanted to go over a little bit about uh, to where this show is being taken place, uh, which again is Joe Louis Arena um, in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, I like Detroit. I've been to Detroit many times, being close to Cleveland, uh, being close in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I know it's easy laughs to make fun of Cleveland, and it can be easy laughs to make fun of Detroit too, but it's a really good city. If you're ever in town, if you're ever in the Midwest, check it out. There's a lot of good things to do in Detroit. Uh, the arena which where it's taking place was named after the super incredible one of the all-time great boxers in Joe Lewis. Uh, you don't see obviously almost any venues being named that's not corporate uh, in today's day and age. So um, a little bit of a throwback. The arena was built in 1979. They quit holding sporting events in 2017. It was demolished a couple years later. Um, as of right now, in terms of the history of Joe, you know, we're early in the pay-per-views, the era. Um, so we haven't gotten a big pay-per-view in uh, at the Joe Lewis Arena at this point. We'll, you know, as we go on with the show, we're going to actually see some really awesome, awesome pay-per-views uh, or 
at least very memorable pay-per-views for sure. Uh, at nearby Cobo Hall, um, the Giant, the future Big Show, the also known as Paul White, uh, he gets thrown off of Cobo Hall, uh, which is you know right next to Joe Louis Arena, right by there. So we're going to see some exciting times. Uh, that would be, I guess, in WCW, Cronoso, uh, that if that ever occurs. Um, the only main television program that took place so far here was the May 12th, 1986 primetime. Um, the, you know, just looking at that, um, it's not very good. Um, Bret Hart defeated C.V. Uh George Steele fought Jim Neidhart. Tito Santana versus Bob Orton. I guess that would be pretty decent. But yeah, I think it's safe to say that so far this is going to be uh, maybe the biggest show that this the Joe Louis Arena has held in terms of you know major wrestling shows that have been on TV. I personally have been to this arena. Uh, I went in 2017. I was actually a former employer. All company meeting uh, was held there. And uh, it was, you know, it looked like it had a lot of history, obviously, with the Red Wings. Um, so, you know, Detroit sports fans are really great. This is going to be uh, a great show. I hope you enjoy it. Um, and we're going to get right underway where we're going to start off with our opening match. We'll talk to you in a bit and enjoy the rest of the show. Hello, this is Tim Slopka, and I'm coming for you from the March... 1987 Saturday night's main event. I'm lucky enough to get the Macho Man, Randy Savage versus George Animal Steel as my match. Um, we start off after the opening highlights. We get highlights from the January 1987 Saturday night's main event match between the Animal and Macho Man. Uh, so this is a return match from that match uh, with some special stipulations in that the winner of this match gets Elizabeth, and also the IC title is uh, up for grabs. As you know, Macho Man is scheduled for WrestleMania 3, which is a couple weeks away, to fight Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, so we kind of got some interwoven, um, interweaven uh, rivalries going on right now between the two. Um, so first we start off with Mean Gene in the back with Macho Man and Liz. Liz starts to talk as Gene is asking her question, but Macho Man cuts her off. Uh, he's got the belt in hand, really showing it off, showing that he's the champ. Um, and then he says that both, and Gene mentions him that both the title and Elizabeth are on the line. And that Gene mentions to Macho Man that he must go down alone to the match. So Macho leaves alone, comes down to his, his music, uh, and then steal. Uh, so then we throw back to Gene. And then George Animal Steel comes through and is talking and keeps cutting off Elizabeth. He keeps saying the word manager. My, my comment on this interview is, what is this? It's very degrading for George Animal Steel. I know this is his character, but it's, it's a little bit over the top. Uh, I know it's the 80s, but definitely a little bit annoying. Uh, then George Animal Steel goes down to the ringside, and we get Gene alone with Miss Elizabeth. Gene kind of recaps the storyline, and all Liz has to say is, thank you, Gene. So pretty pointless interview with Liz who just has no kind of charisma right now I think some of that's kind of good and that she's kind of a silent assassin right now with Macho Man uh, but it definitely leads to a pointless interview here so from there we uh, and also Mean Gene of course takes a quick peek as she's walking out the, the world and says the whole world is watching here is behind Miss Elizabeth one thing I noticed about the Saturday Night's Made of Lines is this sound is terrible uh, so even when Liz is coming down Macho Man's music's playing but clearly isn't the arena feeling or the arena feeds like cut off, so it's really annoying to listen to the feet, the music. We also get something when Rich, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat comes out too. The music is way off from what the actual production's going on. Um, 
So in this match, Liz has to sit on this tall wooden beach chair, which I've never seen them use at all. She's very uncomfortable getting up, up to it. She basically stops and just kind of stares at it. Uh, but the, the match starts off with basically Liz gets to the top of the this, this wooden beach chair. kind of looks like what a volleyball ref would, would sit in. And Georgia Steele tries to get her down. While that's happening, Macho Man does the double X handle to steal and then takes Liz all the way to the back. Right as they're about to get to the exit, Ricky the Jag and Steamboat comes right out. Again, his music is playing over the top, and it's terrible, so you can't really hear the crowd reaction. You can't really hear the announcers, which is uh, Vince and Jesse. Um, so from that, then Macho goes back with Liz to the – to the ring and we get the match started uh the match is pretty basic four minute match uh steel does his classic ramming an opponent into each turnbuckle and then gets the last one and then goes eating it instead of ramming macho into it the crowd loves this it's kind of annoying but because of that distraction macho goes on the attack he does some knee drops some double uh some axe handles off the second rope uh really going after steel at this time uh and then we get back to steel getting to a turnbuckle again this time he goes to eat a second turnbuckle, and this time throws it in the face of Macho Man. Uh, Randy Savage, who just gets distracted and thus kind of knocked down. Steel goes to steal Liz, and Macho then dangerously throws the giant wooden chair onto Steel. He wins by countout, and which is confusing as he rolls back in the ring while Steel's out, because they did not allow... Uh, it should be a disqualification, I feel like, on Macho, that I don't know why he was allowed to use the chair. Referee awards the match to Macho Man, who gets to keep his title... However, then Steel comes to the ring, hits him from behind. Steel grabs the title, title, holds it and hugs it. He also pulls out a poster of of Miss Elizabeth and hugs it. Very creepy. Um, kind of an okay match. The guys definitely put over their character work of George the Steel kind of doing his classic moves. Kind of like if you saw a Bushwhacker match, you would kind of say they're doing all the classics. Steel definitely does all the classics there. Uh, Macho Man looks okay. Ricky the Sta- Dragon Steamboat gets involved because that's where the real feud is at. And, uh, you know, Elizabeth kind of looks like a pawn in the in this relationship between Steel and Macho Man. So, uh, good match. Overall, I actually thought Jesse was amazing. He kept talking about how Steel was kidnapping Elizabeth, which is kind of true. Uh, so, uh, really, MVP of this match was probably Jesse Ventura on commentary. Vince was way over the top and loving everything Steel deal with his big high laugh. So, fun little match to start off Saturday night and definitely get us ready for the, you know, maybe second biggest match on the card for WrestleMania 3. And that you saw Macho Man and Ricky, the Dragon Steamboat, appear both uh, in this match. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm Tim Slavka. I'm on the North-South Connection doing every other Tuesday New Gen on a Mission with Justin Pratt or JP. We're moving along from Brennan Shawn in Survivor Series 92 to Brennan Shawn in Survivor Series 97. We just finished Survivor Series 1993, so we're really making headway uh, through. We also just in our last episode did our first ever Slammy Award, kind of our first uh, year in review that we've got from Survivor Series 92 to 93. We just kind of give our some of the Slammy Awards for, for that, that first year. And we're moving on to 1984 in the Royal Rumble in the next coming weeks. So please come check us out, rate, review, and uh, subscribe to all the shows on the North-South Connection. Thanks for listening, and uh, talk to you soon. Hello, North-South Connection Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Everett. I am going to continue us through our Cronoso of the... March 14th, 1987, Saturday night's main event from the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, Michigan, where just a few weeks later, they would have WrestleMania three in Detroit, Michigan, of course, and depending how you look at it, 
80,000, 78,000, 93,173. A lot of tickets nonetheless. So Detroit was obviously a very hot market at the time. And the match that we will be reviewing is the main reason for all those tickets being sold in a way. The Battle Royal and the crux of the Battle Royal is it is the first time Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan will be face-to-face -face since Hulk Andre turned heel on Hulk Hogan simply by asking for a title match after being undefeated for 15 years, which I think is a reasonable request. And so Hulk Hogan gets the opening bumper promo, as he usually did on Saturday Night's Main Event, and then right away gets an opening promo again with Mean Gene. He says that when he ripped the cross and shirt off, when Andre ripped the cross and shirt off of Hulk Hogan, that he ripped the hearts and souls out of every Hulkamaniac, which is quite the statement. I mean, you'll be okay, Hulk. And from there, we we do get an Andre promo where he, it's mainly the brain ranting and raving, but then Andre just says he wants Hogan. And then we get a Hogan bumper promo going to commercial before the actual battle roll starts and he is pumping a muscle bar and just keeps repeatedly saying Andre so he wants Andre the Giant we haven't gathered that yet so we get all 20 men are entering the ring when they come back the last guy that they show entering is of course Andre the Giant out to his typical no music just with the this is the debut though of the black single strap uh, spandex outfit that he would wear for the rest of his career in the WWF eventually changing it to navy blue but this the one strap was always his go-to from here and then out last is Hulk Hogan the only guy to come out with music Vince really talks about how disappointed he is in Andre and he says not to blame it all on Bobby Heenan he thinks that Andre is jealous of Hulk Hogan and his accolades that he has. So, first, Orndorff attacks Hogan right away to kind of still keep that just going in the uh, that feud on the back burner just in case. I think by this point it was pretty clear what was happening at WrestleMania 3, but you never know. Never can be too safe. So right away, the heels kind of team off on Hogan. A little bit of the faces team up against Andre, but that kind of wears down a little bit. And eventually, Hogan is tosses the Honky Tonk Man and his goofy suspenders out of the ring. And then from there, Andre tosses Sika, and Andre starts attacking the Islanders. And he tosses his future tag team partner, Haku, who we'll get to someday. And then Andre headbutts Lanny Papo, who does a huge blade job off of the headbutt, and then gets tossed out. So they actually have the stretcher come out for a bleeding Lanny Papo, who is really helping to put Andre over as a killer. And Andre keeps or Vince keeps talking about how this is a new Andre. He's so vicious. How he would do that to poor Lanny Papo in his poetry. And then Hulk eliminates Ron Bass. Demolition. We see done. This very early in their run, they are double-teaming Hillbilly Jim in the corner. Andre hip-tosses Blackjack Mulligan out, so that's a big 
big man getting tossed. Hawk, Hulk tosses Nikolai, so again, they're kind of going tit for tat anytime one of them eliminates someone, the other guy eliminates someone else. Hogan and Orndorff and Hercules is also involved a lot going after Hogan, just selling the heart, the Heenan family going after Hogan. Andre tosses B. Brian Blair and then just stands on Coco Beware. And then Andre smashes Billy Jack Haynes and Hillbilly Jim together. And then from there, Andre and Hogan finally face off, but Hulk gets like two punches and then Orndorff attacks Hogan. Axe also gets in on the attack. Hulk tosses Orndorff, kind of like throws him out from a body slam position. And from there, Andre grabs him from behind, hits him with the headbutt, and then tosses him out. And then just like rubs his hands to say it was nothing. It was easy. Hulk Hogan, of course, complains because as we've seen throughout, especially when we get to Royal Rumbles, Hulk Hogan just doesn't understand the concept of battle royals or every man for himself. And then Brunzel jumps at Andre, which ends with him getting tossed out of the ring. But then all eight men remaining, including, I mean, I wonder if this was brought up later in the meeting, but even his current, his uh, fellow Heenan family member, Hercules, all the guys in the ring team up and get Andre out. They just kind of roll him over the top rope. And from there, kind of quickly, we get Hercules tosses Tama. Hillbilly eliminates Axe, and then Smash eliminates Hillbilly, and Coco drops kicks Butch Reed out. I don't know if that's what caused their big, their epic WrestleMania 3 match or not, but perhaps that was the, the start of their feud. A little quick micro feud for, uh, to get to WrestleMania 3. So we have Hercules, Coco Beware, Billy Jack Haynes, and Smash in their final four, which is kind of an interesting group I would say if you had to pick people from the beginning I don't think for sure Smash and uh, Coco Beware I think stand out a little bit Coco gets eliminated by the heels working together but then just as they're able to work together they aren't able to work together as some miscommunication has Hercules clotheslining Smash out of the ring so there we get Hercules and Billy Jack Haynes who are in their feud you know they're building to a Wrestlemania 3 match and Billy Jack gets the hot start. He kind of runs Herc into the corner, into the rope, because he's working him over. But then Bobby jumps up on the apron, and Billy Jerk Haynes, as Jesse loves to call him, chases after Bobby the Brain Heenan, allowing Hercules to come up from behind and toss him out. So, pretty good battle royal for... Uh, for national TV, you know, they they got to do these matches a little differently than they're used to. It's a quicker battle royal, 11 minutes only, which is fine by me, you know. No, it keeps it moving, you know. The main story of the match, or at least the first two-thirds of the match, would be Hulk and Andre. You know, both guys are looking dominant, tossing other people. And then when they get head-to-head, -head, you know, Hulk gets the quick flurry, but then he gets distracted, and then Andre definitely gets him and eliminates him and like even Vince McMahon doesn't you know say oh he attacked him from behind he says no he Andre dominated Hulk Hogan and tossed him out so that was good and then I do like how 
you know, it would have been easy to just have Andre dominate everyone and win this battle royal. But, you know, they know that that feud is substantially built. Like, you don't have to build any more credibility for Andre the Giant. So they go to another one of their mid-card feuds. Hercules and Billy and Jack Haynes have them then highlighted at the end to help push that along. It's very interesting on Saturday Night's main event. It's in its own universe, kind of. No mention of WrestleMania 3, which is at this time two two weeks away? It's the 29th? Yeah, so two weeks away, and they don't even mention Hulk. And they make mention that they're going to have to have a one-on-one match eventually, but, I mean, from this point, the match had been announced on TV over six weeks ago. I think it's the beginning of February when they had that pivotal Piper's Pit. So it's pretty interesting that you know, they don't bring up Hulk Andre at WrestleMania 3. Billy Jack Haynes and Hercules at WrestleMania 3 isn't mentioned. Um, the match before this had Hogan air with Savage and George Steele with Elizabeth online, and they don't mention anything about Randy Savage and Steamboat at WrestleMania 3. It's really weird how it's its own universe. Like, the only time you see WWF is on NBC, and it'll be here in three months, and that's all you have to worry about. But overall, pretty good Battle Royal, I would say. Um, if I'm going to give a star rating, I would say three. It's, I mean, it's a standard Battle Royal, but it gets the story that they wanted to get across pretty well done. And it's, you know, it's quick-paced. It's not, you know, I think on the Coliseum videos and some house shows when you get them, they'd be a little bit longer, just lots of hanging around. But there's not a lot of... You know, two guys pushing each other in the corner. This one kind of moves pretty quickly. You get the main points across. And, yeah, it ends pretty nicely with a Hercules win to pump him up going into WrestleMania 3 against Billy Jack Haynes. I will talk to you next time. Thanks. Hey, kids, it's Johnny D'Amato with your Cronoso Daily on the North-South Connection, and uh, another another beautiful one, uh, one of my favorites, uh, Jake the Snake Roberts' take on King Kong Bundy from the Joe Louis Arena on Saturday night's main event. Uh, it aired on March 14th, 1987. It was uh, taped uh, about three weeks prior on uh, February 21st, 1987, so they did the long... Uh, did the long delay uh, here getting uh, getting this one ready. Uh, freshly uh, turned uh, Jake the Snake uh, Roberts, uh, as we heard uh, from uh, my compadres, uh, doing a great job of going over a lot of uh, Jake's heelish uh, matches uh, with Ricky Steamboat, that dastardly uh, angle that took place in the Providence Civic Center, uh, where uh, Steamboat uh, uh, took that DDT on the floor, a vicious one. And, uh, but uh, suddenly, uh, the legend has it that uh, Jake was uh, getting the cheers. Uh, they were building him up to a, a big feud with uh, Hulk Hogan, which uh, ironically, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the only few matches was also in the uh, Providence uh, Civic Center, and uh, where, where Jake got a lot of cheers. Uh, supposedly, there was an angle shot in a snake pit that, that never aired because uh, Jake DDT'd the Hulk, and there was DDT chants, and they were cheering, so they scrapped the, the, the Hulk feud, and uh, they never aired that, and they, all of a sudden, uh, they have Jake uh, 
uh, fighting uh, Kamala and uh, King Kong Bundy. There was, there was really a no big turn on the on the TV. We'll see something later with the uh, in the Snake Pit, uh, if you want to call that the uh, the turning point with uh, with the honky tonk man. But but to me that was like uh, Jake was acting like a real dick, uh, putting the the snake in, in honky's face, and and then Jake looked like a putz in, in that segment because he 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 was like, oh, come out, come out, uh, honky tonk man. Honky tonk just walked around and and smacked him right in the head with the guitar. It was like <laughs> it was like, oh, Jake, you didn't see that one coming. Uh, you know, it's it's not like the snake pit was was a big maze. There's was, there was only uh, you know it, uh, one way going in and out. So. He, he looked kind of dumb there. I guess that was his uh, his big turning point. But uh, th- that was uh, basically it. Uh, they just recognized that he was he was getting the cheers, and they start putting him up against a different. You know, when they start putting him up against heel opponents like Kamala and Bundy, the, and the, and the fans took to him. Uh, so, the, but the DDT was uh, was over like Rover, a big popular move. So. Uh, the opening promo, uh, J- Jake says Damien is going to feast on 400 pounds of white meat. And, uh, and, and him and Gene are always priceless together. He scares the shit out of Gene. And, and, and uh, he, he says uh, everyone knows that he's uh, taken on uh, 400 pounds of pork. And then uh, uh, Gene's all terrified of Damien. And then after uh, J- Jake leaves, uh, Gene says, oh, a fearsome twosome. Uh, just uh, Gene always ha- ha- had the way to... Had a way with words just to to sum it up with as little, as little words possible. He always had those great phrases uh, to put somebody over. So uh, anyway, uh, in the in the ring, the bell rings and uh, and Bundy uh, taken over early with his size. He uh, he does the power moves. You can see uh, uh, Jake's definitely taller, but uh, Bundy's girth makes him look so much larger than uh, Jake. And uh, and Bundy dominates m- most of this match. Uh, as he's taking the, the power moves, though, he, he kind of steps on the the, the, the bag and uh, on Damien, and he, and he, and right away they get over how spooked is uh, Bundy is of uh, Damien. So and then Jesse and Vince uh, the debate of well, what would happen uh, if if if, uh, if you know the snake got out of the bag and uh, you know Vince says oh what would happen if Bundy ate the snake or and, and then Jesse says oh what if uh, Bundy fell on the snake so they're really getting that Damien over too and. Uh, and and how Bundy would react to it, so uh, and and as as we go, uh, Bundy uh, you know s- keeps his domination a long front face lock, with, and and Jake really uh, uh, sells. J- J- Jake is a uh, that, that was another reason why uh, they probably did the turn because Jake's uh, you know real good at selling and, and looking like he's uh, you know dead, and uh, and then finally uh, Jake gets some offense, uh, does his big uh, his big knee lift and and punches and and it really knocks uh, down Bundy, so. Bundy uh, sells well too, and and gets over that Jake is a real threat. But uh, uh, Jake would uh, just knock Bundy down, and right away he wouldn't re- really do anything too devastating. He would go for the snake uh, real early, and and, and then uh, Jake gets distracted, and Bobby uh, grabs Damien and runs to the back, and then Jake has to go go chase him down and get his uh, bag back, and. Uh, and he comes back to the ring, uh, you know, without. But he comes back to the ring with the bag and no Bobby. So that that was a good spot for a perfect spot for a Sunday night main event commercial uh, break there. So um, as they get back, it's just Jake and Bundy, no Bobby, and uh, and Bundy uh, takes control again. Uh, 
with his offense. Uh, really, Bundy really dominated about 80% of this match. And, uh, you know, wish all the blocks and uh, good offense. And then, and then Bundy goes for his big avalanche, although Jake wasn't really in the corner to take it. And Jake kind of sidesteps him and... Uh, and pushes uh, Bundy, and all his momentum goes in, and 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 Bundy goes down, uh, and once again, and instead of Jake, uh, you know, going going heavy on the offense, he, he goes for the snake uh, real too early. R really doesn't look too smart, and uh, and this time the ref stops him, and, and then Jake just uh, just knees the ref and punches him. Just a, a, an easy DQ there, so uh, Bundy gets the uh, the win there, and then after. Bundy and Jake, they're still battling, and uh, and Bundy gets Jake down, and then Bundy goes for the big elbow, and Jake gets out of the way, and then he gets up and he makes the signal, and, and this is and, and and then the crowd goes bananas. And Jake DDT's Bundy, and, and and it's really realistic. It really looks good because Bundy's head was so sweaty, it kind of pops out a little, so it it didn't really it didn't really go in, which is uh, you know which is realistic. It, it didn't really go down, and and then Bobby comes to a. To help uh, Bundy out of the ring be because uh, Jake takes out uh, Damien and uh, and he was about to uh, put it on and have Damien feast on some pork, but uh, Bobby was able to come back and assist Bundy out of the ring and and then uh, Jake couldn't get couldn't get Bundy so so Jake goes to to throw Damien on the ref and and then Vince disgustingly is going get him get him get him and and then even Jesse has to friggin lecture Vince like I can't believe you you approve of this and then uh, and Vince says I just want to see Damien go on somebody man <laughs> I want to see Damien all over somebody sick Vince and Jesse kind of expose him right there so this is uh, your, your typical, uh, like anybody cares, my usual uh, two stars uh, for the, uh, for the uh, match quality, uh, the match uh, quality, uh, to, to, to quote my, uh, my boy Big Dave. Uh, but uh, no, nobody's here. This is Saturday Night Main, main Event. Uh, the entertainment quality is, is through the roof. You got Jake getting over as a babyface. Uh, Bundy's uh, still a threat, although you know he's going down, and uh, and the, and the fans got uh, to see uh, Jake DDT Bundy, even though it was after the match, uh, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't during the match, you know, followed by a pin, which would which would really get him over, but uh, it, it it really popped the crowd uh, that DDT after the match, and uh, and and it helped get Jake over, and of and of course they're pushing, uh, you know, uh, Damian too. And how how Jake's gonna be a threat where with Damien, so it, it did the job. Uh, this was kind of uh, Jake's first uh, big match as a, as a face, and uh, to to set up a long, long uh, face runway where Jake for years was uh, the, uh, the 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 solid spot as the number two or three uh, baby face, just uh, always a great performer. So that's it for me again. Nice chatting it up uh, about uh, as we go, go into 1987 now, and uh, just another stunning year, 86 and 87. Uh, I can't, I can't get enough of them. Uh, we're gonna have a lot of good stuff ahead. I, I believe uh, there's a certain WrestleMania three uh, match uh, coming up the, with, with the luck of the draw came on a very special match, uh, which I'll be talking to you in the future. So keep listening daily, of, of course, to all the other ones. I mean, I mean this period. You, you you can't get uh you can't get better than this talking about vintage uh, side night night main event and uh, WrestleMania and uh, we're gonna be having uh, uh I think uh, you know Survivor Series too we're gonna have another uh, pay per views uh you know Royal Rumbles down the line and lot of lots of good stuff on the North South Connection so keep listening this is Johnny D'Amato peace out.
Well, after that hot snake action, we will have the World Tag Team Championship title match. We got the new champs, the Hart Foundation, in their first title defense versus the cobbled together team of Tito Santana and the golden boy, Dan Spivey. The segment starts off with a recap of the January Saturday night's main event. This is where we see Danny Davis, still a referee, fuck over the Bulldogs, and as Vince says, single-handedly give the titles to the Hart Foundation. Cut to Gene in the back with Jimmy Brett and the Anvil. Gene pisses them off by reminding them that Danny Davis is now a suspect a referee for life. But Jimmy pulls a little Swirsky here and declares that there's going to be a newly implemented position. There will be an official observer for the match, and of course it will be Danny Davis and his ridiculously stupid outfit, his striped shirt that does not fit him in any way any human would ever wear a shirt. Always hated this motherfucker as a kid. Gene asks, what are your credentials, Danny Davis? And Davis responds, acting smugger than a bedbug by proven impartiality in the ring. Cut to the arena, and Tito and Danny Spivey are already in the ring. We get an extremely Silly Ricky the Dragon Steamboat insert promo where the dragon talks about breathing fire and he makes an insane sound. Live in the arena, battle of the big boys to start as Spivey hits a huge crossbody on Anvil real quick for a two. Big Dan is wearing super patriotic tights, recalling his US slash American Express days with his ex tag team partner Mike Rotunda, who had recently left the WWF. Dan gets caught by a huge clothesline from the Anvil. Spivey reverses an attempted double team by Brett and Anvil, takes advantage real quick, whips Brett into the good guy corner where Tito connects right to Brett's face with a great punch from the outside. Tito enters the ring and Anvil kind of sneaks in trying to do a little sneak attack and Tito says no fucking way. Holds Anvil at bay with the classic Tito fist up come and get some motherfucker stance that Tito was always so cool looking doing. Tito takes control and drives Brett down with a huge body slam. There's a cool move where Tito whips Brett into the ropes and Spivey hits Brett on the rebound with a huge shoulder block. Goes for two. Anvil comes in cheating and breaks up the count. One cool thing I noticed in this match is how much cheating the Hart Foundation does. Just constantly. Anvil is just always pulling the tights, manipulating the ref, double teaming, Sneaking in at any chance they have, always cheating, getting in a cheap shot any chance they could. It's so great. Like Jesse Ventura always said, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And you cannot say that the Hart Foundation is not trying in this match. It's just constant. So if you're fighting these guys, you're just getting frustrated. It's not like they're constantly stabbing you with a foreign object or a fork to the face like the butcher. They're just constantly doing shit to get under the skin of their opponents. Anvil exerts his power here and just drops Spivey throat first onto the top rope. This looks sick. Spivey's so big and the weight of his body just bends the ropes deep down. It looks like it really fucks him up. While the riff goes and talks to Anvil about why you're doing that, you shouldn't be dropping a guy in the rope. Brett runs in and just boots Spivey. Just real quick while the ref is distracted. Quick heart tags here and Brett works the gut. Then we get the classic Brett heart headbutt with two fists of hair and a forehead to forehead bash that I love when Brett does that. A Brett backbreaker here. Lots of quick tags by the hearts. Maybe the coolest move in the match here, one of my favorite moves always in wrestling tag moves, is a slingshot splash where Brett pulls Anvil in over the top rope from the outside, crushing Danny Spivey on the mat, flattening him like a pancake. Anvil looks so fucking badass flying through the air like that with that massive splash. Love the wrestling physics involved in that. Spivey is rocked, goes for a tag. Anvil almost doesn't get there in time to block it, but he does. Tito's frustrated on the outside. Spivey winds up back again in the heart corner and uh, really fast tags, and they just work him over. Spivey's trying to fight his way out of the corner, and this is one of my favorite parts of this entire match. We get some great heel work as Anvil's on the outside. He tagged out. Brett's working over Spivey as Anvil walks behind Spivey on the apron he just grabs Spivey's tights so Spivey can't get out he can't get away while Brett is fucking clobbering him and it's perfect he's not even looking he does it real quick and this totally immobilizes Spivey during his comeback as Brett is all over him and Anvil's just mad cash here super nonchalant he just walks past grabs him the ref can't even see it the ref kind of thinks something's up Anvil's just like what you talking about man and then again as Spivey's in the corner he goes to fight his way out as Spivey tries to punch his way out of the corner Anvil just hooks the arm fucks up Spivey's attempt to have a comeback and 
Brett just keeps clobbering them. You know, this is great shit by Ambles. They just are all over Spivey. They won't want him out of that corner. And Tito can't takes no more, man. He comes in. Of course, the ref has to get him out. So what do we get? More cheating. Anvil with a, a double axe handle crushes Spivey. The cheating is just constant. From subtle and frustrating to just blatant illegal double man attacks. Just immobilizing Spivey and driving Tito nuts on the outside. More big elbows by Brett. Control Spivey with a front face lock, which is the only rest move of this match, but it just gets the crowd pumped up, and they're going crazy, and Tito's getting amped up on the outside, trying to get in, and he finally gets that tag, but what happens? You know what happens. The ref was distracted by Anvil just as Tito tags in. The ref doesn't see it. Fucking hell. The crowd is so pissed. I am pissed watching it. But then we get the momentum shift here as the ref is trying to get Tito out of the ring. Anvil is holding Spivey in the ropes. Brett runs full fucking speed. Double knees flying in the air. But the future skyscraper moves and Brett destroys fucking Anvil. Clobbers him. He's on the ground. Spivey gets over to Tito. Tags Tito in and Tito is on fucking fire here. Him and Brett is one of the best combinations you'll ever see in 80s wrestling. Singles tag, whatever. Their chemistry is fucking off the wall. Great punching. Tito throws Brett chest first into the hardest fucking turnbuckle bump you'll ever see. This is the greatest thing. Always looks crazy. You never not enjoy seeing Brett do that fucking move. That's why it's so great. It always looks like it destroys him. One of those by Brett is worth a thousand Seth Rollins suicide dives. Brett's the fucking man. That bump looks sick. Anvil sneaks in. Tito fucking wrecks him with a flying forearm. Davis is on the apron being an asshole. Tito clobbers him straight to the fucking floor with a beautiful flying forearm. The crowd is losing their goddamn mind. Tito with a third flying forearm. This one's an absolute thing of fucking beauty on Bret Hart. Bret sells it like the dude that Arnold blows away at the gun shop in the Terminator. He just goes fucking dead flying. Beautiful forearm. Bret is completely immobile in the ring. All clear of all the Hart bullshit. The crowd is going fucking nuts. But instead of a pin, Tito stops, puts on the figure four on Bret. Jesse's like, what the fuck are you doing? I was wondering the same goddamn thing. And I've seen people criticize this part, or heard people criticize this part, but you could say you don't know why he would go for the submission there. And he did use the figure four at times, but in all his matches leading up to this, he was just flattening dudes with the forearm. And I guess you could say he did it just for the booking so that Davis could come in and fuck him up. And that might seem weird why he wouldn't just go for the pin, but to me, maybe he was A, trying to punish Brett a little more. This is a feud. This is not just a match. But maybe it's because the ref was distracted. Why would you pin someone when the ref isn't looking? Because that's a three count. Brett could just kick out of that before the ref even turns around. And since the forearm is more of a flash knockout rather than like a straight lights out finisher like the DDT, why not just wrap Brett the fuck up in the figure four so he can't get away? And when the ref turns around, Brett is completely fucked and immobilized and he submits. So what happens here with the figure four is even better because now we see Davis on the outside sneaking around with the cameras following him as he's got Jimmy Hart's megaphone. And while Tito has Brett in agony, the camera catches Davis with that megaphone, sneaks in from the outside, slides in, and like the fucking snake he is, bam! Megaphone right to the back of the head of Tito. Tito never saw it coming. Brett rolls out of the figure Figure four, hence Tito, one, two, three. This is incredible. This really puts over the first appearance in this capacity of how much of a difference maker Davis is going to be for the hearts. Tito's never seen this incarnation of the hearts before. He couldn't anticipate the actions of this brand new evil component to the hearts. The ways that they could cheat have just exponentially expanded here. I think it's great. The hearts cheated the whole way. The good guys were finally winning and Davis factors in right away in his first official factioning up with the foundation. Davis has blamed Tito for getting suspended, so this is a little justice in his uh, twisted heel mind. Throw the Bulldogs into this mix. This is going to be a great angle going all the way up through WrestleMania 3 and beyond. 
As a kid, I always fucking hated Danny Davis. I always hated the heel cheating by the hearts. It drove me nuts. But watching this with more educated adult eyes, it's just so incredible to see all the minutia that goes on into this great heel tag team and the work they do and all their matches. It's just fucking great to watch. Another thing I love is that there's no attempt to do a finishing move after the foreign object hit. Once you hit someone with a motherfucking megaphone in the back of their head, that's enough. We don't need to pick them up and do your big finisher. You know, that's that's the thing that happens all the time now that I can't really stand. When you cheat, you cheat. You don't need to use your finisher to do a little Papadopoulos from the fucking crowd. It should let the crowd down. It should make them pissed off. You don't get to see the big move. The hearts don't put on the heart attack. They just pin them and they get the fuck out of Dodge. And I love it. After the bell, the bad guys are getting out of Dodge as Jim and Danny are carrying Brett out as he sells his leg damage from the figure four. Danny even gives Brett a sweet little upper thigh rub to help Brett soothe the agony of his pain. Jamie Hart's waving the tag belts around. The crowd is pissed. It looks awesome. Someone looks like they take a fucking swing at Jimmy that, that he ducks out of the way real quick. I'd love to see Jimmy Hart punch a fucking obnoxious fan in the face. This was a really fun match. It never had a second of chill. It was nonstop action. It was cool to see the bigger guy, Danny Spivey, taking the heat in the match. And I like the idea of the big guy taking the heat because I think it's cool because a big guy, you know, you could get gassed quicker and then you get the smaller guy with the hot fucking tag. Personality of Spivey really doesn't come out in this match. This is the only time Spivey and Tito ever teamed up. And Spivey did not do much between this match and his eventual exodus to WCW and bigger and better things. The conspiracy theorist in me says maybe there was only room for one muscular, tall, long-haired, blonde dude in the WWF at the time. And the other muscular, tall, long-haired, blonde dude had way more stroke and way more insecurities, brother. So I think that's maybe why Danny Spivey didn't really have the run in the WWF that he could have. Tito brings his fucking exceptional fire to this match and everything he did in it, especially his interactions with Brett, which are always the highlights of almost any card in this era of wrestling. Super fun match. The Hearts put on a clinic of how to cheat in a wrestling match and be a heel team. And this match just set the template for how they're going to work with Danny Davis now in the group. Just one more thing that's going to help them keep their titles and just be the most nefarious heel tag team of the era. This was a really fun fucking match. A perfect example of 80s bad guy heel team cheating their way to victory over the good guys. Everyone played their parts perfectly in this match. My name is Rocco Martone. I say check it out. Hello, Cronoso Monthly. This is Jumbly Jake here to uh, quickly talk about uh, the Ricky Steamboat versus Iron Sheik match from Saturday Night's Main Event in March of 87. So before the match, we had a Dragon uh, promo where he talked about how his throat is what everyone's going for after a Macho Man, of course, uh, destroyed it with the ring bell as we are right on the precipice of WrestleMania 3. So um, we, we head down to the ring. I love the graphics on Saturday Night Main Event so much. Um, the one that stood out to me here was for uh, Iron Sheik. They have a uh, his pointed boot, like an, uh, a little um, uh, animated version of it, which is uh, awesome. But uh, before the match can even start, we see that Macho Man is already in there disrupting uh, things in the absolute greatest outfit you were ever going to see in your entire life. It is like a... Um, He's got like these painted on skin tight jeans that are bedazzled with jewels. Um, his top is a rainbow sequined as well. Just a, a fantastic. I like that it's kind of like the casual Macho Man look, but just incredible from him. Uh, he heads down the commentary to uh, talk some serious shit about the dragon um, in his rainbow gear. Uh, so we start the match. Steamboat makes Sheik look foolish in the early going. He skins the cat, and of course, Sheik is an idiot. Uh, posing, uh, Steamboat goes behind him, uh, takes him down. Uh, my favorite thing about this whole match, 
really i mean the match you know there's not a whole lot to it it's like a three minute you know a classic end of the show saturday night's main event match and the focus really is more on steamboat uh and, and macho man obviously here and all the shit that macho man is talking during this um and so my favorite part of this is that anytime uh, Steamboat does anything in this match, like literally, literally it could be a punch and much as he's not going to do that to me. So like, uh, just for feel like whenever he does the skin, the cat and, and Sheikah just has his back turned. He's like, Oh, I'm not going to do that brother. That's not happening. So uh, that, that was the highlight for me. Uh, I wouldn't have fell for that, but uh, Sheik does a leapfrog during this match, which amazed me that um, at this advanced stage of his career that he still had the agility to leapfrog over Ricky Steamboat um, but uh, he ends up taking over for like the a super quick like uh, you know heat segment here uh, they go outside the ring for like 12 seconds he suplexes Steamboat back in there's a pretty lame ab stretch uh, Steamboat hooks up and then uh, he actually beats him with like a top rope fish drop not a fish drop a fist drop I should say he did not hit him with a mackerel but um yeah, so he wins with that. So I thought that was kind of an odd finish. I don't remember him using that as a finish. But again, it's like a three-minute match. So who gives a shit? Um, so, you know, match is like one star. Um, but the, the highlight here is just him and Macho Man going at it. And to close this out, we see them kind of yelling at each other. Um, Savage is on the at commentary. And Steamboat is kind of at the guardrail. And they're screaming at each other. Um, of course, they play up that uh, Macho Man's a coward that he's not going to go after, but he does threaten to throw his, uh, his chair across the crowd at him. So some good unhinged Macho here. But yeah, just the obviously the focus of this was to put, you know, just to continue the build to their WrestleMania three match, which was red hot after the um, the aforementioned uh, uh, bell angle where he rammed the bell into Ricky Steamboat's throat. So they're just kind of. Just one little last hurrah with this to um, to put the heat on that for WrestleMania three, and I think it works. I mean, it's a red hot feud. The match is nothing, but I would recommend you watch this just for some vintage, like insane heel macho man threatening to throw a chair. And like I said before, um, just to see him every single move Ricky Steamboat does um, to deny that any of that is going to work on him at WrestleMania. So, yeah, I mean, it's an all-time classic feud, and this is just like a, uh, like I said, an end-of-the-show Saturday Night's Main Event special um, just to get a little bit of shine on this as they go into Mania. But, yeah, and that's pretty much it. Pretty short, sweet, and to the point. So, all right, Cronoso is going to roll on. And that's it for Monthly Cronoso. Thank you to all the contributors this month, and we will catch you next month. The Wrestle Mania 3. Later, guys.